welcome to Campus Connections. I am your host, Ashley Tem, and this show is by and for people who are in the education field. The hope is these conversations will allow leaders to hear and voice different opinions, perspectives, and philosophies to cultivate a better future. Our very first guest on the show is a personal friend of mine, Heather Johnson. Heather is a fourth-generation San Bernardino, California resident. Heather is a strong student advocate, a passionate soul, and a strong believer of what San Bernardino can be. Heather is currently the lead counselor for the First Year Experience Program at San Bernardino Valley College, a CSUSB alumni, and a current doctoral candidate for an EDD in Leadership in Educational Justice at University of Redlands. Thank you so much for joining me today, Heather. I know you and I go fairly well back to our collegiate days, which is exciting. Um, Mm -hmm. And now look at both of us. We are in the higher education system. That's very exciting. Did you ever think that we were both going to end up in this field? (laughs) No, I had, you know, I had no idea. So like, I know for me, I was just like, yeah, you know, I will do psychology. That's my jam. But I had no idea where I wanted to end up. You know what I'm saying? I don't know about you, but I was Mm -hmm. just like, oh, yeah, like, I I think I thought, like, at that time when I was young, I was like, oh, you know, I want to work, like, as a psychiatrist, like, that's what I want to do, but it's not really what I wanted to do, I just thought that's what I wanted to do, (laughs) you know, I was just like, yeah, that's what I want to do. Like, a recruitment guide counselor, like, my, like, junior going into senior year, and that's what kind of made me decide to do, like, like, educational counseling, like, working with, like, those women who just graduated from high school, who were like, I want to join a sorority, and I was like, sure, let me just affiliate that was like a really big turning point for me. I was like, Oh, I liked doing this. I was like, what's a job that I can do. Um, and I remember talking to my friend, um, Dr. Jonathan Higgins, because Dr. Higgins at the time was working at our school and um, student life. So he was working in the residence halls and he was the one who was like, Heather, what about like higher education? What about student affairs? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I was like, I don't know about that. So I remember I literally was like, okay, well, what can I do? I said, I don't know if I want to do higher education. So my first thought was, oh, I can work with high school students. The young women I worked with were coming straight out of high school. I think I would be a great high school counselor. That's how I got to that conclusion. And Mm -hmm. so I literally applied. I was like, I don't want to get a degree in higher ed um, just because I wanted more options just in case that wasn't a good fit for me. So I was just like, let's do the school counseling program at University of Redlands. And they had a higher ed option. So I was like, let me do both just to cover all my bases. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's do Mm -hmm. it. And so what happened was you do your field work. So for anybody that doesn't know um, who wants to come like a school counselor, like a college, like particularly like community college counselor, you have to do a certain amount of field work hours. Um, Mm. And for me, I think it was 800 hours, if I recall correctly. I had to do two sites in the K-12 system and then one site or more at a higher education institution. And so it never popped my mind. I did my first field work at a high school, a local high school, and it just wasn't for me. I was like, this is not counseling. <laughs> you know, I was like, wow, I've started my field work and I don't like this. And one of my really good friends, we now work together. She works in the same um, school that I do. She said, Heather, try community college. And I was like, community colleges have counselors? <laughs> Right? right and she was like right. yeah girl and she was like just test it out she's like I think it's more your speed test it out to see if you like it and I was like okay cool I'll do some hours um I did hours at a local community college Crafton Hills which I now work at their sister college it's funny how things work out 
Um, and I loved it. Like, I love the variety of students. Like, you get students who are doing concurrent enrollment that are, like, 16, 17, that are still in high school, to students who are adult reentry students who are coming back for, like, the first time in 20 years. And I was like, this is dope. I was like, this is it. And there's more, a little bit of freedom. I know I cuss too much to be a K-12 instructor. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I have a very, like, dry sense of humor. I don't know. I don't, you know, I thought make, like, little kids cry. Now that I'm, you know, now that I'm 31, I'm like, ooh, girl, we make a little kid cry. We don't want to do that. Um, No, no. Right? Um, And so I found my niche, and I fell in love with it. And, like, the kicker is, like, I was like, okay, high school counseling is not for me, but I work as a first-year experience counselor, and I work with a lot of incoming high school students. Uh, it's kind of like a full circle moment almost. Mm-hmm. And I work with like students from all ages. So like in the program that I work for, we have students who are just coming out of high school all the way from students who are, I, I think the oldest has been like 51, 52, maybe a little bit older. I think we've had some people in the 60s. Um, but it's dope. Like I get to work with them and I get to see them grow and because they're with me for a whole year. So it makes a little heart happy. So I like what I do. <laughs> That's awesome. And you know what, I think, I think that can really make or break a student's experience, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Just to have that support and just have someone to really talk through their new experiences, especially the reentry students, right? It can be one thing of a high school senior going into a college and experiencing a, a different environment. But I feel like having just the support of a counselor really can make a difference in just helping them succeed in their academic journey. I agree. And like, like college is a whole new culture. And if you haven't been in it, or if you haven't been in school for 20 plus years, for some cases, or it's your first time going to college, it's a whole new culture and you do need someone to support you. And that's what I love most about the program, right? Like I get to see students that are years later that are graduated from San Bernardino Valley college or have gone on to other things. And you're just like, wow, like it makes my heart happy. And you need that support. I think that sometimes we forget that adults need support too in like various ways, right? Not just academic. um, But we talked about earlier, like mental health, right? Even resources. Mm -hmm. Um, I know like one of my biggest things is, is housing for students. Right. That is a great point to to include because individuals that are wanting to pursue higher education, they might have to pick something that might be a tad out of their driving distance, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? And that is already kind of limiting their opportunities. Exactly, exactly. And then if you really think about it, so like a, a lot of our students, like I've had situations where students are like, Heather, I'm living in my car. Um, and then wow. unfortunately, shelters are full in the area. So they go to like a whole different city to find a shelter and the shelter's full there by the time that they get there. And, you know, that, you know, that's a safety issue for our students. But also, how do we expect our students to learn when they're trying to survive, it kind of goes back to like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If they don't yes. have basic safety and shelter and food, we can't expect them to be like A1 in an English 101 class. No, because they're still trying to figure out where their next meal is coming exactly. from. And that's obviously the priority. And so they could be the most brilliant person in the class, mm-hmm. right? But if they're still worried about like, oh, do I have a smell? Because I've been living in my car for two two days or two weeks, mm-hmm. you know? And, oh, I missed breakfast and lunch because I couldn't afford it or you know I've been trying to um, find a safe space right mm-hmm. to, to park my car and just get a few naps in that is something that is very dear to my heart and just something that 
a cause that I definitely want to help out any way that I can is the issue of homelessness among students, because it's, it's something that I feel like our government isn't paying attention enough. Exactly. To. And like, cause you know, for a lot of students, campus is a safe haven, right? It's yes. a way that they can uh-huh. get away from what's going on at home or like I have seen students, even when they're not in classes, they're on campus, right? Because it's yes. a safe space. And I do worry about my students who don't have that safe space anymore because of the pandemic. What is going yes. on with them? Like, are they safe? Um, things of that nature. But like, yeah, it's a really big push. I would, I really want to push for housing on community college campuses. Um, since like, um, very different to like a university setting or a college, like we accept all, you know, if you fill out the application, yeah. we accept all. And so I think right. that since we accept all in the community and, you know, community is, you know, what we are, I think that it's imperative mm-hmm. that, we help the community. So that's also working with resources within our community. If we don't have housing, then what places do you have housing for our students where they don't have to drive 45 minutes to find a place, you know? So. And do you have a team that can support there? Like a, like a certain department? Is that something that you would kind of take under your wing to support these students? Kind of tell me about that process. Cause I do agree with you. That should be something. And I'm kind of just wondering mm-hmm. how different uh, institutions help that and support those students. yeah so we have a couple of things so like for our students who are like experiencing like food insecurity we have valley 360 um and what that is is, is as long as you have as long as you're enrolled in classes you can get like food nice. and it's open right now during the pandemic as well it's open like three days per week and it's ran by our student life they can come in and they say hey we just need to show they need to show proof they're enrolled in classes and then they can get the food that they need. Uh, so we have that. Um, but then we also do have like the behavioral intervention team that we have on campus. So we call it BIT. I'm a part of it as well. So like, let's say, for example, you're an instructor and you say, hey, I've noticed that like this student has been missing class. I talked to them a bit. They said that they're um, facing housing insecurity. What can we do? So as a team, it's not just like counselors, but it's also the dean of student equity, the vice president of student services, um, the director of student life, people from our student health services, and then um, instructional faculty from different departments. And like myself, we all come together and say, okay, what resources do we have? Who's going to follow up with this student? We also have like for mental health, we have this, um, it's very new, it's called Care Solace. So what Kara Solis is, is like a concierge for like mental health. And if a student is like experiencing some mental health issues, we can say, hey, we can walk you through the Kara Solis or they are, you know, I can give you a number to call and they can walk you through it. And what they do is they help the student find resources that are near them. Um, and like, let's say, for example, a student doesn't have insurance, right? And they will find them like low cost or zero cost options for them that do not require insurance. Yeah, those are like the three main things that we do. Um, I think it's helpful, but I think there's more that we can do. I think this is a great segue into kind of breaking down our topic for this Mm -hmm. episode. And I really wanted us to focus on what are three key areas of the U.S. education system that should be prioritized for improvement and why? Yeah, um, so um, housing insecurity was was, going to be one of mine, but I ended up rambling about it. So there's one. Um, but also I think, and this is goes across K through like 20 is, um, what's it called? The digital divide. The digital Mm -hmm. divide is a really big thing. And we saw that firsthand when the pandemic happened, a lot of our students did not have access to internet or if they did, it was a very slow internet, right? 
on top of like our students mm-hmm. live in multi-generational homes, right? So they're not the only ones mm-hmm. that are using the internet, but also their brother that has to go to school Monday through Friday is using the internet. Their parent who's probably working from home now, if they're lucky enough to work from home now, is using the internet, plus they are, right? And so that slows down mm-hmm. the internet and then they can't get assignments in on time or things of that nature. They're having difficulties with that. Um, or in some cases, our students don't have laptops. So um, I've had some students who are like, yeah, Heather, I've been working um, on my homework on my on my phone, right? So that's why my formatting is a bit weird and I apologize. And I'm like, I get it. And like, luckily, like I know on our campus, they have called, you know, they've had hotspots for students and they have had um, laptop rentals for them, right? Um, but it's making sure that that's accessible to our students, um, because, you know, students don't know what they don't know. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. it's like priority. I know for our program, we give them free laptops for the whole year. Um, but yeah, that's one of the biggest things is the digital divide because we see it. Like we see students that are in like Del Taco parking lots trying to use the Wi-Fi because they don't have Wi-Fi at home. Even if you have a hotspot, right? Like I know for me, I pay extra 99 bucks extra a month for like the hotspot that I have just because my internet is trash mm-hmm. where I live. And so I'm like, I'll do that. But like, <laughs> who has $99 a month to do that? You know what I'm saying? Like our students don't. Of course. So that's one of the big things for me. We, I saw like a real equity gap uh, when the, when the right. pandemic happened. How did your students kind of adapt to going remote? Because I know for me, just to just be a little candid, a lot of our students had some issues with learning how to mute and unmute, you know, and kind of just like... Mm-hmm. Uh, sharing their screen for presentation and just being overall a little bit more tech savvy. So how do you feel um, that kind of preparation for our students across the board went? It was a bit difficult. Um, I'm thinking about when we first went into lockdown in March, um, our students were struggling because instead of our appointments now being in person, right, it's like, okay, it's going to be over Cranium Cafe that they've never used before, right? Oh, right. And they go, what's mm-hmm. a Cranium Cafe, Heather? I don't know how to use Cranium Cafe. I said, boo, I don't know how to use it either. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we're, still, we're learning together. We're learning together. So um, so that was a bit difficult for them. Um, for my students that were with me, like, starting like that, it was, like, in between the semester. Um, also, the concept of like asynchronous instruction, right? So we're not going to meet at the same time every Friday like we did for class. I'm like, no, it's going to be asynchronous. I'm going to post up the material and then you respond to it, you know? Um, And so a lot of them, that was a bit difficult, but also like the human connection aspect of it was a bit difficult for the students. The way that our program worked, we were in a cohort. So they see the same people every day, (laughs) right? Um, In classes and you build that community, so a lot of my students were like, yeah, Heather, we, you know, we just miss like, cause my class would be on Fridays. And so like, we miss Friday's class. We just have so much fun. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I miss y'all too. And they're like, when are we going to go back on campus? And I'm like, I don't know y'all. <laughs> um, but yeah, they miss the human connection. That's one of the biggest things, if anything, that I've learned, um, that they miss that, but also the tech too. The tech was difficult. Like, you know, what's a zoom? How do I connect to the zoom? I can't use this on my phone. No, you have to use a computer, you know. um, So Mm -hmm. those things were a bit difficult. Um, Luckily, though, for my incoming students, so I get new students every fall. We're on a rotating basis, so fall and spring. But the majority of my students I get in fall, um, you know, all they knew were online because it was their first time, right? Um, Right. So that kind of made the transition a bit easier. 
But still is missing that human connection piece, um, especially since um, for our program, we used to go on field trips. So like once a month, we were going to go somewhere fun, um, whether it was like the African-American Museum um, in Los Angeles or like even like going to like uh, certain colleges and universities. Like we would pair that with something fun, like, OK, we're all going to go out to dinner together. Are we all going to go to the Aquarium Pacific after we go to Long Beach? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and they miss that. And I miss it too. I'm like, I'm like, I don't miss waking up at 5am, but I miss like, you know, seeing like their faces light up. Right. Cause they, there's possibilities that they didn't know they were there until they saw it, you know? Yes. Yeah. I, and I think that's something that's so enriching in our jobs is the fact that you are really giving individuals and these students a experience mm-hmm. and something that makes them say, yes, this was the right path for me. And like, I'm so excited that I am starting and I did make a right choice to start back to school mm-hmm. or um, if they're, you know, 17 and 18, like going, you know, first I was out of high school, you know, yes, I did make a choice to um, keep going. Mm-hmm. Right. You really are the one that's interacting so much with these students. And I think that makes more of an impact, honestly, than like a behind the desk position, mm-hmm. right? That's just kind of like approving or denying things. I think you're hands on in there and really making an impact. Yeah. And that's what makes like, that's what makes the job happy. Cause you know, sometimes y'all, we have shit days. Like that's just like the nature of the beast. Oh, sure. That's like in every uh, profession, but like having those moments, like I'll never forget, like, especially my older students they'll be like heather why am i in this cohort with these young kids and i'm like just wait it out (laughs) you know and then by the end like the year end you'll see like the connections that they've even made with like the younger students or people their age and they're like yeah heather i was so worried about these young like they'll call them young kids you know even though they're young adults and they're like Mm -hmm. i've learned so much from them and they've learned so much from me and i'm like yeah i told you (laughs) I was like, you're all in it together. Like, those are the things I like to see. I like to see, like, um, like intergenerational, like, bridging, right? Like, I like to see them make those connections, yeah. realize, like, you know, um, yeah, our differences are what makes us great. But, like, look at how we all have come together for, like, you know, for the betterment of each other, basically. Right, yeah. right. And I think that's amazing. And that actually really helps having a more open-minded society, mm-hmm. right, instead of bridging us all off and kind of setting us in our categories, it's so important for individuals to take a step back for a second, see what you can learn from someone else. Because I think even though someone might be coming back to college for uh, a break from 20 or so years to work on a family or their careers, they could teach someone that is coming straight out of high school and just may be a little bit more academically inclined because they've had no break and they're already in the swing of things. And both parties can teach them about so much. Right? Exactly. And I think that's beautiful. If you're just open to that, because unfortunately sometimes you don't get mm-hmm. that, but it, that really in lies with educators and leaders like yourself that, opens that right and gives a safe space mm-hmm. to let others kind of build those relationships with the cohort exactly and like I'll never forget like one of the first cohorts that I worked with this is because uh for those who don't know uh, at California Community Colleges if you want to be a counselor you're most likely going to start off as part-time um 99.9 percent of the time and then if you are lucky 
they might open up full-time spots and you better grab them and get them. Um, So I started off as part-time and I'll never forget. I had a student. He was like, he looked like a, he was a biker, big, bald, white dude with a beard. Right. And Mm -hmm. I remember, of course, people had some preconceived notions about him, but you'll never forget by like the end of like that, like fall semester, you would see him and he's like this big six foot five guy. Right. And then, like, a trail of, like, these little 18, 19-year-old, like, young men right behind him. Uh, oh, I yeah. You're like, I'm like, where are y'all going? Like, Heather, we're going to go study. And I was like, okay. He created, like, a WhatsApp group for them so they could keep up with their study. Like, it was just, it was so beautiful to see. And, like, even till this day, they keep all keep in contact with each other. Like, now the guy, he works on our campus now. Like, once he graduated, he works on our campus. And it's really just oh, a joke to that. see. It's dope to see that. Like, those are the things I'm like, okay, this is why I became a counselor. <laughs> You know, yeah, yeah, it really is because you're seeing the beginning of their journey to better their mm-hmm. lives. Uh, people ask me, like, "Why do you do it?" And I always give that example just because, like, you see the growth. And even I tell my students, like, even if you don't finish, right? Because life happens. You know, oh, totally. We can't, we can't control life. I wish we could. Um, I'd be a billionaire, but I can't. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> And like I said, you know, I said, you did something for you. I said, if you have to come back later, come back later. If you have to take, if you have to go part-time instead of full-time, do that. And I think that our students fear, like part of it is, I think our students almost fear to um, disappoint us, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I'm like, you're not going to disappoint me, boo. I want you to do what's best for you. And sometimes that might mean like, you might need to take a break and come back later. Or it might mean that we take one class and see how it goes and works from there. Um, I think in society, we kind of push like, you need to go 110% all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And I get that to an extent. I'm a, I'm an overworker. I Listen, I'm over here trying to figure out like, well, what do I have to do tomorrow? And like, you know, X, Y, and Z, that's just my, right? Um, but at the same time, I think we need to honor when people realize like, hey, this is enough. I need to step back and take a little bit less, right? That shows that you've assessed like your situation and said, hmm. I need to tweak X, Y, and Z. And I don't think we give people enough credit for doing that. I think we always tell students 12 units, you know, full-time status, this, that, and the other. And that's sometimes not feasible for our students. And that's okay. Like, that doesn't mean that they're any less or like, you know, it's just going to take a little bit longer. And that's okay. Sometimes dreams take a bit longer than we expected. Everyone is on their own journey. And mm-hmm. I, I will fully admit, I fall victim to this all the time of comparing. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, oh, someone else is already doing X, Y, and Z. And I'm over here 29 and, you know, only here. And Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, but, you know, you have to see that you're, you might be ahead than someone else. And you're just not realizing it, right? Because you're only looking at someone that might be ahead of you. And you're not looking at someone that is like, you know, behind you Mm -hmm. and then admiring where you're at. I think sometimes too, if you're going to force a student to just be like, keep going, keep going. There's a difference between like encouraging and then like really looking at them as a human and not just a student ID number and being like, okay, if this is truly what's best for you, I respect it. I fully trust that when you do have the time and it is right again, that you will come back and continue this, um, wanting your, your goal of a bachelor's or an exactly. AA or a master's or whatever degree goal that you want. Exactly. And I know for me, like I had to, when I first started counseling, um, I had to take a step back and realize my privilege in a sense. Right. Um, because I was like, so confused. I was like, I don't understand why these students aren't coming to office hours. I don't understand why they're not going to class. Like what's so hard about it. Right. And then I had to sit down and think about it. And I was like, Heather, like they didn't have the privilege. Like some of my students have the privilege of going to college straight out of high school. 
Um, A lot of our students, a lot of my students are first generation students, right? My mother went to college, so she knew what to expect, right? So she could help, she could help guide me along the way. A lot Mm. of my students didn't have that, right? And also, like, I had the luxury, like, I worked a little cushy job at Lane Bryant for, like, five years, you know, during my time um, of going to school. Mm-hmm. Um, right. That worked with my hours and that understood, like, school was first. This was just, like, for me to get some money. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I could, like, go do cute things with a sorority, you know? <laughs> um, and, like, I didn't realize my privilege. And I had, like, I really had to sit down and reflect. And I was like, wow. Heather, like your privilege is showing and like you project that onto your students. And once I sat down and thought about that, I said, I need to get my shit together because that's not right. Mm-hmm. And I wish that more educators would reflect because we all have privilege. And I think one of my biggest things is we have to realize we participate in the system that perpetuates oppression. We are a part of the systems because we are part of the system. We perpetuate that system of oppression and we need to learn how to break it. We also need to learn how to call it out too. Because um, higher education, because I work with mostly black black and brown students, was not built for them. Mm -hmm. Um, It was purposely not built for them. In the system, we kept on building the system. And then we wonder why, oh, why are there equity gaps? Well, the system that you created wasn't built for them. So, of course, there's going to be equity gaps. So one of my biggest things is we need to recognize that. And I think a lot of times educators are very much like, well, we're doing it for the good of our students, this, that, and the other. But I'm like, have you sat down and looked at your biases? Have you sat down and looked at your privileges um, and things of that nature? Have you sat down and thought about how you participate? And I don't mm-hmm. think we do that. That's one of my biggest things is that, I don't know, kind of like how like Audrey Lord said, you can't use the master's tools to dismantle the house. Like we are sitting here like, well, you know, we're creating programming and this, that, and the other, but you're still using the tools of the oppressor. So what you, we need to create new tools, right? Tools that are centered around our students, whether they are from, the thing is our students live at intersections, right? They live at, they have intersectionality. So we can't just say, okay, this is a black student. This is a white student. No, most likely our student, you know, is black. In some cases they might be trans or gender non-binary, might have a disability. We have to think about those things. And I don't think Mm -hmm. we do. I think sometimes like you talked about earlier, we see students as a student ID number, Right. But we don't sit mm-hmm. there and look at the intersections that they are, right? Look at the wholeness of who they are. Um, like a great example is like I'm dealing with on my campus is uh, my students who are um, trans and, um, uh, you know, trans or gender non-binary who want to have their name changed. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. my biggest thing, my biggest gripe is that we should have a smooth and easy process for this. Right. The only mm-hmm. process that we have is if a student wants to change their name, um, they have to make sure that it's it's legally changed first, right? And I'm yes. like, that's not the case. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. people understand the harm that is caused when you use someone's dead name, right? Mm-hmm. The name that they were assigned to at birth, because that outs the person, even if it's online. Uh, constantly having to use that name that is not their name. It's as simple as that. That's like if someone called me a name that wasn't Heather, I'm like, that's not me, you know? Right, right. Because they don't identify with that name anymore. And um, I ran into that um, scenario recently as well, where an individual is now identifying as a female, was mm-hmm. born male. And so obviously, that the name was male as the birth name. But for a long period of time now, so even, you know, from their personal life, and, you know, probably all the way back to their high school was going by their female um, pronoun, Mm -hmm. right? Like their female name. Mm -hmm. And so 
coming into here, you had to apply, right? And you had to do your social security number and that ties in with your birth name. And it was, it was hard on the individual because it was like all the now letters and notices and the, even the acceptance letter Mm -hmm. wasn't that individual's name that they have in their, in their heart and in their life now that Mm -hmm. they go by. Mm -hmm. It was like, Hey, here's that birth name that you haven't even really used in about 10 years. And it's like, well, that moment of, Oh my goodness, I just got accepted to college. And it was like, it was kind of diminished a little bit, Mm -hmm, right? Because mm -hmm. that's where we fail because there's areas where we really just don't cater to all these various communities. Mm -hmm. And now they're already kind of going into this a little disheartened. Exactly. And that's sad. Mm -hmm. And I think we also have to realize like when we create policies and things of that nature, I think they have to serve the most underserved because if you serve the most underserved, it's going to help all involved, right? I think about it like from a system of like, let's say a person like has a wheelchair. If you have a ramp access, right, that's only going to help them. That's going to help others as well. Um, And so we have to think about it in that way. Like, are we serving our most underserved? And if we are, it's going to help the multitudes. And I think we tend to forget that at times as an institution. I know it's hard because how do I say this? Education is a, it, it's supposed to, technically it was a private good to start off with, but now it's a public good, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. with like education being a public good, at times we get caught up in politics. And I think that if we, and I understand because like politics is tied to money and we need money for our institutions, but at the same time, at what cost, right? Like is money going, and I'm thinking about for four-year institutions, is money going towards the football team, Right. But going towards mental health services for our students. Sure. And so that's what it comes down to for me is like, how are we serving our students and in what capacity? And is it equitable? And is it, is it accessible? Right. Is it easy for the students to understand? Is it easy for me to understand? Cause shoot, sometimes I don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's like, comes back to like meeting students where they're at. Right. So like, I know for mm-hmm. myself, like, and like, I am not that social media savvy. I just like to take selfies and like <laughs> post memes. You take, you take great selfies. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's all I like to do. You know, um, I, I realized my students hate email. Like they, they use it as a text more like as like text messaging more than and I said, okay, what can I do where I can be easy, easily accessible to my students, but I can still maintain like a level of, you know, after these hours, I'm not answering this. Right. And so I created mm-hmm. an Instagram. Right. And so like the students, like I can post like, Hey, you know, your homework's due at this time. Here's a friendly reminder. Hey, this is due X, Y, and Z. And I saw participation like skyrocket, like not even just in my classes, but then just like making appointments so they can see me to see how their classes are going or making appointments to make sure that they're on track with their educational plan and things of that nature, because it was accessible. It was right there on their phone. They're on Instagram all the time. Right. I was tempted to almost make like a TikTok, but like, no, I don't, mm, I don't, I don't think I can do that. I I don't know. (laughs) In a nutshell, would you want to really see the education system go in maybe the next five years? Ooh, that's a great question. I like, I think it goes back to, I want to be more accessible and more navigatable for the most marginalized, right. Of our students. That's one of my biggest things. Um, like again, I work with first gen students. A lot of my students that I Heather, I never thought I would go to college and I go, well, you're here, let's get it. Like, you know what I'm saying? But I want us to retain these students. I want them to complete. Um, One of the biggest things that we see in community colleges 
especially where I work at, is that our students start off, but somewhere along the line, we lose them. Mm -hmm. And I want us to retain our students. But by doing that, we need to be high touch. Um, They need to know that when life happens, we're not going to be like, oh, well, too bad, so sad. We're going to work with them. And I think at times there is a fear. Me, as the educator, I have all the knowledge and you don't, which is not the case. Um, I'm very much a big fan of the funds of knowledge approach that I learn just Mm -hmm. as much as from my students as they learn from me. And they have skills that they have brought from home and from their previous life experience into the classroom and into the counseling session with me. And we Mm -hmm. need to acknowledge that. I think we forget that. I think many times when we look at a lot of theories surrounding um, student development theory and student identity and things of that nature is that it focuses on taking the student away from their culture and who they are and their family dynamic and things of that nature. And yes, I get that. So we can mold them, but at the same part, no, we shouldn't have to mold them. They should come as themselves and leave leave with themselves just a better version. That's it. That's how I see it. I completely agree with that statement Mm -hmm. because I, I don't feel like we have to mold someone into this cookie cutter of like, we're going to make you an engineer and we're going to make you into a firefighter, Mm -hmm. you know, like, like, sure, that's going to be your profession. And you know, that's going to be your career path. But like, we just want you to learn skills and just leave here better versions of yourself, just like you said, but not necessarily like trying to put you into a a mold of this is how you're going to have to act and this is how you're going to have to um, present yourself now. And it's like, I think our culture has definitely grown into um, you can have tattoos and piercings and dyed hair Mm -hmm. now and still be a a therapist, right? Um, Or be a nurse, be an RN. I remember growing up, you couldn't really have like crazy pink hair and be a elementary school Mm -hmm. teacher, right? Mm -hmm. And now it's like, be yourself because if you've got that skill and you've got a good heart and you're a good person and you can do your job well, who really cares what you've got on your skin or hair? Exactly. Right? And how I see it is like a very much for me, like the personal is political. So I, uh, like I'm a black fat woman, like, right. <laughs> like, and I, and I live at those intersections and I'm totally fine with that. Uh, but I present myself to my students, right. My hair changes probably every three months. Right. Um, I got tattoos on me. And like, I think also like us in higher education as like educators, um, as student affairs professionals, we need to bring our full selves to the table as well, because I'm not a fan of respectability politics, respectability politics, because us nowhere. They're rooted in white supremacy. I'm not here for that shit. Right. Uh, We need to do away with that. And I think there's like a formality that's still going on in higher education that, oh, there's respectability politics, right? Like, even with like the research that I do, like um, my dissertations, like on fat black femmes in academia and how they navigate the system that they work in, mm-hmm. many people are like, "Oh, that's too radical." Is it too radical because you're afraid of it? Like, you know what I mean? Because you're afraid of what we what we might find, like you know how you treat fat bodies, fat black bodies in academia. So yeah, I don't do respectability politics. I want it to be deleted. Um, I want it to be tossed away <laughs> somewhere in the corner. Yes. And I I think you're completely right. I think individuals don't necessarily jump on board with a topic right away because they're scared. And then they're feeling a little insecure about maybe whatever they're feeling. But then also too, like, I guess like one thing I want to see, uh, this is like one more thing, is like, I'm tired of performative allyship. Yeah, like performative allyship is, I don't want to see campuses put like, oh, we support Black Lives Matter. 
but are there any black people um, in your upper management, right? Are there any people of color? Are there any women in your upper management? You know what I'm saying? You can't promote building equity when you aren't giving those individuals the leader roles in that platform. Exactly. And if you don't give them the space to do what they need to do also. Yeah. And this kind of goes even into um, our Madam Mm -hmm. Vice President right now. Little girls across the country now can look up to someone and say, Mm -hmm. she looks like Mm -hmm. me. And I think that's so beautiful. And that's something that a lot of organizations don't have yet because you can't just say, yeah, we're going to do a, you know, monthly webinar uh, and let's talk about race. And it's like, okay, but who is leading these talks and who, mm-hmm. and, you know, the company is in these roles because it's one thing to just talk about it, but we want to start seeing action now. We want to start seeing change now because we've talked about exactly. it enough, right? And we'll continue to talk about it enough. Of course, the conversation will never end, but I think now we've got enough information to where now it's time to exactly, make a change. Exactly. And I think also to like, we got to realize that just because you have a person that is, uh, that is a marginalized individual or underserved individual does not mean that their policies are aligned with like liberation. I'm really big about liberation and I'm very much of like the Angela Davis mindset and things of that nature. Um, in my head, like we're best friends in my head, but <laughs> not all, not all skin folk is kin folk. Right. So we have to make sure that these people who that we put in these positions are there to serve our students, right? And all of our students and all of their capacities, right? They're not just there as a figurehead because, oh, well, you're Black and we said we needed some Black people, so here you go, all your LGBTQ, so come on down. You know what I'm saying? It needs to be people who are ready to make the change. And it's hard work. Oh, it is. And you have to have exactly behind you, right? Um, You can't make this change on your own. I I know I can't make this change on my own. You can't like, you know, we can all do as much as we can. But to really make a global, honestly, change, it has to just come from everyone's actions and just the the support. Exactly. Well, Heather, I have enjoyed talking to you so, so much. Um, I think this was really enlightening and just kind of getting a insider look into issues that are happening in your campus, but also probably translates over into many campuses across the U.S. And I think it's really gives me hope that there are leaders oh, like thank you, you. For, well, sure. I appreciate you for putting this podcast together. I think it's great. We don't get to hear the voices of a lot of higher education professionals on a personal level. So I really think this is great. I can't wait to like hear more of the speakers that you have come and talk in like the conversations you have, because this is a great format. I wanted to let you have an opportunity to plug anything if you were interested, if there's any resource or if you have any side projects going on or any kind of calls to actions for our listeners. I would love to. Yes. So um, like I said earlier, my dissertation is on like fat black femmes and academia and how they navigate that space. Um, One of the books that has really helped me um, and it actually just came out with like its second edition is uh, The Body Is Not an Apology. It's by Sonia Renee Taylor. She's a black fan as well. It's a great book. It's an easy read. It talks about like radical self-love um, and how that can be systemic, but it starts with you. Um, and it also talks about like how like the body is used 
with like in white supremacy and capitalist societies right and we deem whatever normal is Mm -hmm. it's a great book i suggest that everybody reads it and then there's also another book by dr sabrina springs um she's also a black woman who um, talks about fearing the black body um it talks about like the rate it's the racial origins of fat phobia right so it talks about how fat phobia has like Mm -hmm. racist um undertones to it and things of that nature Uh, i think it's a really great book because i think that um I don't want to say it's like the last frontier, but one thing that we do not talk about is like, you know, weight discrimination and body discrimination. And that can go on both ends of very tiny Mm -hmm. people to uh, very like plus size people, right? It it can be a range. But I don't think we talk Mm -hmm. about that, right? We don't talk about accessibility issues that individuals may have, but also the stigma that they have. We don't talk about what those intersections mean. So um, I suggest everybody to check those out. I'm not running for anything. I did run for public office at one point, not running for anything right now. But if you are in the Inland Empire area and if you are interested in politics and you identify as a woman, um, there is a new club called the Inland Empire um, Women's Progressive uh, Democratic Club. Please come join us. Um, We do great work. Um, Our goal is to try to help women get a platform so they can run for office and particularly women of color and um, women from underserved communities, because you all have a voice and it needs to be heard. I completely agree. Well, that is it for the first episode of Campus Connections. A final thank you to our guest, Heather Johnson, for sharing her experience and thoughts. If you enjoyed this show, please make sure to subscribe and leave a review here on Apple Podcasts. Until next time. Thank you.